0: Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
3: A warm up from the low. Welcome up on Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment, we are going to be joined by one of our good friends at the network. Danny Burke does a great job hosting Rush Hour every Monday through Friday. On top of that. For those of you guys that like our city casts, and we've got many of them centered around sports betting from a local perspective. Danny does one for Chicago, and then we've got ones for like Los Angeles, Denver, Colorado. List goes on and on. But we're gonna have Danny on. He's gonna talk about what we could expect to see in some of these hot division races right now, where there might be a little bit of value in the futures market. Gonna be taking a look at the AL Central, the NL Central. We're gonna be taking a look also at the Field of Dreams game that we've got upcoming for tonight as well. And then in the final segment going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got one or two ways, we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind letters M They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. via that five star review really did not wind up getting in any twitter questions today but let's take a look back at everything that we did wind up getting on Wednesday try to find some trends and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about here is the rowdy recap. The New York Mets pound the Cincinnati Reds by kind of 10 to 2. TJ Zoic probably should not have been getting this start because he had a 670 RA at the minor league level and oh guess what he got lit up shock shock surprise surprise giving up six runs over the course of four innings, including a homer to Taylor Naquin, the former red-like. He gets his 10th run season, Mets go 7 of 14 with Ben in scoring position Tywin Walker. Solid start here. Two runs surrendered in six innings. He's now given up three runs or fewer, in now nine out of his last 11 starts. Seth Lugo, Trevor Williams, Adonis Medina from there. I'll give you a scoreless setting. and then for Cincinnati, you wound up having Reviers and Martin wound up giving up an under run in his inning of work. Ian Gabo his ERA is back above five. He gives up three runs in an inning before. Ross Setweiler and Hunter Strickland both lend a scoreless setting. The LA Angels in 12 innings take down the Oakland A's by Kind of five to four for Los Angeles. A relatively good start here from Tuki Tucson. Five scoreless settings before bullpen very nearly lights this one on fire. As Aaron Loop winds up giving you four outs, he gives up a run out of the bullpen. Andrew Wants, he gets one out, gives up two runs along the way. Jesse Chavez, four outs out of the bullpen, scoreless. Ryan Tepera was able to lend a scoreless setting before Aimee Barilla winds up pitching innings number 10, 11, and 12 giving up just one unearned run along the way as the Angels. They want to getting a home run off the bat of Luis Ranifo, his seventh home run season. That comes off of Sam Ball as well, Gives up that home run in a third of an inning. J.P. Sears, his debut for the A's, not too bad. Gives up two runs over the course of five and a third innings, and things just wound up taking its soul on the A's bullpen. Domingo Acevedo, one and a third inning. Squirrelist, A.J. Puck, Zach Jackson, both one and a And Danny Jimenez gives up an unearned run in extra innings in two innings, and A.J. Pro Perl- gives up the other unearned runs. So, the Angels are able to get up off the mat after they've been, I believe, it was 17-46 entering into the series in their last, like, 63 games. It had been really, really bad. As a north of a plus-250 underdog, the Texas Rangers get done against the Houston Astros, 8-4 the final. Glenn Otto, probably his best start of the season in all honesty. Two runs surrendered over the course of five innings. Walked four, but wound up getting out of some big jams. Brock Burke did wind up allowing a home run in his two innings of work going deep for Houston. Kyle Tucker, winds up going deep off of Otto for his 20th home run season. Then Jordan Alvarez gets the home run off of Brock Burke. His 31st home run season, but the Astros go 1-10 of 10 with men in scoring position. Stranding 11 men on base. Matt Moore, Taylor Hearn, along with Jonathan Hernandez, all end a scoreless inning. And for the Texas Rangers, Laodie Tavares, a double and a triple in this one. 5 RBI. It's Justin Verlander gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Not his best start. And then, Phil made now the bullpen in the tenth inning because this game was four to four after nine. Gives up five runs, four of which were earned in a third of an inning for an answer's bullpen that is currently number one. In terms of bullpen right you did have Ryan Stanek, Ector Neres, Ryan Presley, I'll give you a scoreless inning. and Brian Abreu winds up giving you a pair of outs on the bullpen as well. The St. Louis Cardinals, they go on the road after Miles Michael is up getting lit up on Tuesday. They get revenge on Wednesday. Nine to five. They wind up getting the W as they go seven to fifteen with men in scoring position with a pair of bombs. Nolan Arenado off of Austin Gomber, 23rd armor run the season. Gomber got gombered up by Albert Pujols as well. His eighth home run season for Gomber. Two runs surrendered, both solo home runs in three and two-thirds innings. Robert Stevenson allows a run and an inning, but this was all about Kyle Freeland getting tattooed. Six runs surrendered in four and a third innings for St. Louis. Good start for Jose Quintana. Two runs surrendered over the course of six innings. Andre Palanti winds up giving you two scoreless innings of Chris Trane. He winds up allowing three runs, two of which were earned over the course of his inning of work. So St. Louis, they advance to 61 and 49, and they've got a good race with the Brewers going. We're going to talk about this race in the next segment with our good friend Danny Burke, but the Brewers in 10 innings get it done by a count of 4-3 against the Tampa Bay Rays. Jeffrey Springs, relatively solid start. Eight punch outs, two runs allowed over the course of five innings before Jason Adam, Pete Fairbanks, Brooks Riley, Colin Pooch all wind coming in for an inning. Pooch winds up allowing a run in the ninth, which winds up extending the thing a tenth as going deep for the Brewers to extend this game. Rowdy Tellez, 23rd home run season after Brandon Woodruff, gave up a pair of bombs, three runs in total. Over the course of seven innings, going deep off of him, Yu Chang, 3rd home run season, and Randy Odozarena was able to get his 13th, but Brad Boxberger, Hobie Milner, combined for a scoreless inning, and then Trevor Gott and Devin Williams both lined a scoreless inning. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, you did wind up having Ryan Thompson give up the run in the 10th inning as the Brewers walk it off with a William Thomas walk-off single. You do wind up seeing the Chicago Cubs also wind up getting it done. 4-2, they take down the Washington Nationals as Josiah Gray. Not a bad start. He's actually got a sub-2-4 ERA on the road thus far this season. Gives up two runs over the course of six and a third innings as Nico Horner got his seventh home run of the season off of him, but by and large, not too bad. And then Steve Ciszek, third of an inning, gives up two runs, one of which was earned Carl Edwards Jr. Has to clean up that inning, giving up nothing in his one out. And Victor Arano, a scoreless inning, but... The Washington Nationals, not a lot of offense to speak of right now, though they do have a nice story going on as you saw Joey Manessis. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He goes deep for his fourth home run in seven games. 30-year-old journeyman finally getting an opportunity as he's making the most of it. Justin Seale gives up that home run, giving up two runs in total over the course of six innings. did allow eight hits, but it was able to wriggle out of some jams. Brandon Hughes and Rowan Wick from there combined for two scoreless innings, and Michael Rucker gets the win with his scoreless inning. You did have the San Francisco Giants and the San Diego Padres play the biggest slugfest of the day as the Padres put up a touchdown with the extra point in the sixth inning, and they put up a touchdown without the PAT in the third. 13-7 the final in this one as Jacob Junis you got seven outs. He gave up six runs, all of which were earned. From there, you do wind up having two and a third innings scoreless out of Alex Young. But then Junior Marte, well, he looked like a junior out there, giving up five runs, four of which were earned in an inning. And then Charlin Garcia gives up two unearned runs over the course of two and a third innings. Says going deep for the Padres, Brandon Drury, 22nd home run season off of Marte, and then Charlin Garcia. Gives one up to Austin Supernola, third home run season. Sean Manet has not had a good season, and that continued. He does go five innings, but gives up four runs, three of which were earned, including a home run to J.D. Davis. Seventh home run season from there to we who's seen his ERA balloon a little bit. Three runs, two of which were earned over the course of a third of an inning before Robert Suarez winds up giving five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Adrian Modohone and Tanner Scott they both lend a scoreless inning as well. You wind up seeing Sandy Alcantara have an uncharacteristically rough start as the Philadelphia Phillies are able to get it done by a count of four to three. Alcantara wound up giving up two runs through seven innings and a low pitch count. They trot him out for the eighth and then he gives up a pair of runs in that one as he gives up four in total over the course of seven and two thirds innings. Just the third time in his last 15 starts, he allows more than three earned runs. Anthony Bender from there gets the final out out of the bullpen as for the Miami Marlins, just still not a lot doing on offense as. You want to get a relatively solid start out of North or a Two runs surrendered over the course of six innings. Andrew Balotti gives up a run in this inning, but right hands Anthony Dominguez may have been reliable. They both fund a scoreless inning to be able to get this one down in for the Philadelphia Phillies. They had good timely hitting in this one, going three of nine with Ben in scoring position. The New York Yankees have been having a really rough time of it as they wind up losing by a count of 4-3. And if you take a look at the New York Yankees right now, and this is via a tweet by Ralph Michaels, this Yankees team, since the All-Star break, 7-13. And if you bet the money line on every one of their games in this span. You're down $1,220, betting $100 on the money line in every one of them. Most powerful team, by the way, the Baltimore Royals, and second on that list is the LA Dodgers. By the way, they're looking for another team it has not been so great ever since the All-Star break. The race. they are 7-11 themselves, but Boy, for the New York Yankees, the bullpen has been a little bit of a struggle for them recently as they wound up getting a good start out of Nestor Cortez. He does mind giving up three runs over the course of six innings, giving up a bomb, but then Elbert Abreu, he gives up a home run of his own in his inning as Carlos Santana winds up hitting that home run, 11th home run season, and For the Mariners, he also had a home run off the bat of Sam Haggerty, his fourth home run season. For Robbie Ray, he gave up a deep fly of his own, giving up two runs over the course of six and a third innings as Kyle Lagashioka takes him deep. Seventh home run season and back-to-back days for a home run for Aaron Judge. Home run number 45 for Aaron Judge, and currently he is on pace to be able to hit 63 this season if he winds up playing 152 games. Ben Murphy wound up giving up that bomb in two thirds, but only lost one run. Diego Castillo and Paul Sewald, though, they both won a scoreless inning, and you did have a e. Peralta scoreless inning for the New York Yankees. But the Yankees also wind up going 0 of three with men in scoring position, and in their series against the Seattle Mariners, they wind up putting up a grand total of three runs in their final 22 innings. So not great out there. What is also not great. The Boston Red Sox they wind up losing to the Atlanta Braves this by kind of eight to four for the Bravos. Pair of home runs as you wind up having Marcel Zuna get his 20th home run season, then the first career hit of Von Grisham. That winds up being a home run that winds up leaving the ballpark of Fenway Field. His first of his career as Kyle Wright, he picks up the win. He was Mr. Wright and is now 14-5. and five. One run surrendered over the course of six innings for Boston. You would have Tommy Pham get a home run off of Dylan Lee a little bit later. 14th home run season for Lee. He's been struggling a little bit lately. Three runs surrendered in two-thirds of an inning. But Kirby Yates... Welcome back to the big leagues. He got a out of the bullpen. And then A.J. Minter, Rossiel, Iglesias, Bovlande scoreless sending And for the Boston Red Sox, Nick Pavetta winds up allowing, I believe, the home run to Grisham three runs in total over the course of six innings. But his bullpen is brutal. Why Darwinson Hernandez is still being trotted out there, I don't know. His ERA actually fell to a 21.60 after he wanted up giving up two runs in an inning. But once again, the key, it fell. So that's not great. Caleb Board, his ERA, Went and stayed stagnant at a nine after he won't giving up a run in an inning. And Ryan Brazier he gives up two runs while getting just two outs out of the bullpen. And Austin Davis, the only pitcher not named Nick Pavetta to pitch in this one with a sub 540 ERA, he winds up getting it out of the bullpen. So not going great for the Boston Red Sox right now. and. It's also not going too terrifically for the White Sox overall as you end up having the Kansas City Royals get the job done by a count of 8-3 to three, as for the White Sox. Johnny Cueto, not a bad start here. Three runs, two of which were earned. Surrendered over the course of six innings, And then Jimmy Lambert, who I've spoken highly of on this podcast as being someone that has been able to help out this bullpen well. Gives up four runs while getting just two outs out of the bullpen. Jose Ruiz was able to give you a out of the bullpen. And Jake Diekman, he allows a solo home run along the way as MJ Melendez, his fourth home run in the last seven days. Fourteenth of the campaign as Chris with a K. Boobich. Seems to be starting to figure it out. Gives up three runs, only one of which was earned over the course of five and a third innings. And for a good friend, Mr. Chris with a K. Boobich, three runs or fewer surrendered in every one of his starts ever since the beginning of the month of July. Eight in total, so... That's a little bit of a turning over a New Leaf situation. Josh Jemount, Dylan Coleman, Luke Weaver, they were all able to lend a scoreless inning. And Wyatt Mills winds up cleaning up that sixth inning for Mr. Chris with the K-Bubich as for the White Sox. So you wind up having also a pair of errors out there in the field to wind up hurting this bunch. The poopy Pittsburgh Pirates go on the road and they get a win against the heirs. And the Diamondbacks 6-4 to four the finalized You did wind up having the Pirates go 4-15 with men in scoring position, not the... Best night for Madison Bumgarner. Five runs surrendered over the course of six innings. Putting the bum in Bumgarner right now. Noe Ramirez, two scoreless innings. And Edwin useta allows a run in an inning. And for Arizona, just one of two with men in scoring position. Mitch Keller, relatively solid start, gives up three runs over the course of five. And a third innings. Colin Holderman holds it down. Being able to get five outside the bullpen without allowing a run. William Crow, one run surrendered and one and two thirds innings before Eric South is able to clean that up. And for the LA Dodgers. They once again wind up winning by multiple runs in 69 of their 77 wins. They have won by multiple runs as for the Minnesota Twins, the bullpen wound up yakking this one up as Sonny Gray, not necessarily the world's greatest star, four runs, three of which were earned over the course of four and two-thirds innings as he was taken deep by Max Muncie, 13th home run season, and then a little bit later, you would have Chris Taylor. Welcome back, 7th home run season off of Michael Fulmer and then Joey Gallo gets jacked up off of Griffin Jax. 13th home run season. Jax gives up three runs in an inning by former That one run surrendered by the solo home run in his inning of work. Caleb Thielbar in out at the bullpen. And then Cole Sands was able to lend a scoreless inning as well for the Minnesota Twins. A pair of home runs of their own as Gary Sanchez winds up going deep off of Ryan Pipoy, 11th home run season and Pippoy is of allowing one to Ore Pelanco as well. 15th home run season for Point. He surrenders four runs, including those two homers over the course of four and a third innings. And then from there, ultimately good bullpen pitching. Craig Kimbrell allows a run in his ending of work. But Chris Martin, Evan Phillips, David Price, I'll give you a scoreless inning. And then Alex Decia gets two outs out of the bullpen with nothing allowed. So they get it done. And if you're taking a look at the game of baseball right now. For one, you did notice that we only had 14 games yesterday because... We did wind up seeing a rainout on my DK Nation pick between the Baltimore Orioles and the Toronto Blue Jays. We all know that Jose Barrios was going to get lit up on the road anyway, so we were able to delay that. But with that said, overall for the season, 805 unders to 765 overs. So we're seeing right around 51.3% of games going under the total. And underdogs, but a little bit of a touch-and-go season for them. 987 and 664 is the straight-up record of favorites. But... For favorites, they've had a little bit of a tough time covering the run line. They are 631 and 419, so winning a little bit over 60% of the time straight up, but they have had 195 instances now in which they have failed to win by multiple runs to be able to cover the run line, and over the last 30 days, this has actually been a little bit better from favorites as they've only failed to cover the run line in 37 instances, going 143 and 81 straight up at home. That is 63.8%. And in this fan, we've seen things be going over a little bit more. 177 overs, unders. So that's what we're seeing in major league baseball right now, and that's what we wound up getting in the MLB on Wednesday. Now let's take a look at some of these great division races where the value might be there. And take a look at this field of dreams game with our good friend Danny Burke. He does a great job hosting the show Rush Hour here on Decent, and that's up next, right here on the Baseball Winning Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now a part of the Decent Family Podcast.
0: If you dare. If you dare.
2: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
5: I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one on one contest. Yeah, because you got to think. Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, <laughs> he's going to guard. And then on I'm top not of it. like that, see that?
4: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Casella to Point Game. I remember
5: you came out from crying, <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And
3: we're back here in LV Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beats and Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guest. As- We've got one of the busiest men on the network on, Danny Burke. He does a little bit of everything. You know, we'll catch him Monday through Friday, hosting the show Rush Hour from 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. That is 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time if you're out here on the West Coast. He also does the Chicago City Cast over here at the Vegas Ads and Information Network. We do a bunch of city casts based around sports betting in local markets. Danny does the one for Chicago. We've got... Los Angeles, New York, Philadelphia, list goes on and on. So, Danny doing a great job there. And every Saturday, if you're out there in the Chicagoland area, he's on 890 AM hosting the show bet on Chicago. And to be able to follow Danny on Twitter, and is that Danny Burke his name? And then the number five at the end of that is Danny Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you.
6: Absolutely, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm a man. Always look forward to it. You know, we still got exciting times in baseball, but we're getting closer to football. So it's uh, about that exciting time of the year where we're getting a lot of different sports we can look to bet on.
3: We certainly are getting closer and closer to that, but we've got a lot of great baseball action as well. And. Danny, I know you're a man that you do a great job of taking a look at the futures market in terms of baseball. Is there anything that's really catching your eye right now? Because we're about a week past the trade deadline, so all these teams want to making their moves. Things have been able to settle in from there. Are there any teams that have been really standing out in terms of what they've done the last few weeks that you're feeling rather bullish on? Or perhaps there's a team that you felt like maybe they should have done a little bit more and you're not feeling so great about them right now.
6: I got a couple different angles to this, Greg. The only future, well, not the only, but the only World Series future that I made before the year was actually on the San Diego Padres. I took them at 18-1. to I knew that Tatis was out, of course. I figured he'd come back healthy. They could maintain success enough to see that there was value when he was coming back and that maybe they would make a splash at the deadline. Of course, I didn't think it was going to be the big splash of getting Juan Soto, Hayter, Bell, and then Drury, but here we are. And, you know, what was funny is that, I was like, you know what? All right, maybe this isn't the Padres here. The rotation isn't doing that great. Tatis is kind of taking a little bit to get back. And then the rumblings came about with Soto. And I was like, man, this number's still 20 to 1 at Bet Rivers. I was I was talking about it on the city cast. I was like, they apparently are the front runner right now, even though I'm already invested, just because they're 20 to one and this may happen, I'm gonna take a little snippet of that, right? I took like a quarter unit. And then I did, and then, well, then the trades happen and they moved down to 11 to 1. So I'm sitting decently on some plays with the Padres hoping they can kind of turn things around consistently. I certainly wouldn't advocate for jumping on him at this point because he've missed the value. I would just wait to see how they look during the postseason. But that's really the big future I've been sweating out or will probably end up sweating out. I bet the Phillies to make the postseason before the year started, I laid a little bit in that price. But speaking of teams that could have value, I was just talking with Ryan rostein who hosts the Philadelphia City Cast. Man, if you think about it, I mean the Phillies are one of the hottest teams right now. They have an offense who can compete with anybody if they are on their game. They have two great starting pitchers, Enola. They got Wheeler, who's been fantastic. Maybe if Syndergaard can somehow turn it around, this will be a really solid rotation. Now, the bullpen has improved. They're still very sketchy, in my opinion. But, you know, assuming this team gets in, I mean, really the only way they can is through the wild card. They're built very nicely to get out of the wild card spot, having two great starting pitchers, and again, an offense that can compete with anybody. So not that I'm betting this personally, but if you're someone out there who's looking for a value play, something you can maybe sell your ticket with, use a cash-out option, or actually have some hope in a more of a dark horse, the Phillies are still around 40-1 to to win the World Series. I'm not saying they're going to. I'm not saying they're my favorite. But because of that price and because of the talent they still have, if they can put it together, we know anything happens in October – man, this team can absolutely step up to the plate with anybody. So I think the Phillies are another team to look at. I do like the addition of Syndergaard. I like some of the other moves they made during the deadline. So again, we'll see if they can put it together, but that's more of a value play. I know you were all over the Cardinals for quite some time, and I was on the side of your Brewers pretty much up until like a month ago, and I'm like, you know what? I think Greg's on to something here. I like the value with St. Louis, and they were at about plus 180 to come out of the Central, and I'm kicking myself because I just kept stalling stalling, delaying, even though I kept saying it, that I would take the Cardinals and I never ended up doing it. Now, obviously they've overcome your Milwaukee Brewers, but if you still somehow get a good price before the season ends, I am with you now, Greg, I do think the Cardinals made the necessary moves to at least come out on top of the central. We knew they were going to be competitive. It was only a matter of if they could actually end up on top of the central, which I definitely think they do at this point. So I like what they did too, with some of their pitchers they acquired and the Brewers getting rid of Hayter, I get you don't need him and you got a haul for him, but, man, I just still don't trust that offense, and I wouldn't be shocked if the Brewers missed the postseason at this point. And then finally, kind of to answer your question, Greg, one team that was certainly disappointing, how could it not be the Chicago White Sox? I know you could argue the Cubs not getting rid of Contreras and half is kind of frustrating, but at least they're keeping two quality guys. The White Sox didn't add any quality pieces. They need more starting pitching depth and they didn't get any, right? They got some reliever. I can't even remember his name, but the Sox team, yes, they keep catching so much bad luck left and right. Tim Anderson, the newest acquisition of that category. But, man, you really would have thought the Sox would have acquired at least some kind of other big name, whether it was an offensive guy or a starting pitcher, and they just didn't do that. I still am rooting for them, of course, with our bets to win the Central and still think they can get the job done, but they're still far away from being a World Series contender, especially because they didn't make a big splash at the deadline. So that's kind of how I'm picturing everything right now with some of the more notable teams of what they did or didn't do around the deadline.
3: And you bring up the Chicago White Sox, and I think that that is so interesting. as joining me on the podcast. We do have Danny Burke, and I mean, I just keep taking a look at it, and the Cleveland Guardians, they just keep presenting value in that division. Now, I recognize that they themselves did not wind up going out there making a whole bunch of trade deadline moves or anything like that, but the Chicago White Sox have been the favorite all throughout the season. I, they're still the favorite to coming out of the American League Central. And there's one thing that the White Sox have that nobody else does. And typically, when you say that, it's like, oh, it's a big benefit. No, they've got a guy by the name of Tony LaRusso who's sleeping in the dugout in the first inning of their game about a week or so ago. And I just take a look at this White Sox team, and I can't take a future on them as long as he is the skipper of the team. If they wanted to make it a little bit of a move, I honestly think that. That would be for the benefit of them. But I do take a look at this American League Central, and I think that the Guardians now they're down to plus 210. They were north of a dollar more than that just seven days ago. I still think that they're presenting some value in the White Sox. They're still the short shot, and I can't buy into this team as long as they've got that man out there in the. Dugout, out, and on top of that, they're trotting out their Lance Lynn every five days.
6: Yeah, I really get you there, Greg. And again, you've been all over the Guardians saying that they had some value, and to me, it was always going to come down to the Twins and the White Sox. And we'll see what comes to fruition, but man, the Twins seem to have the harder schedule among the three teams. The Guardians a little difficult, and the Sox obviously the easiest, so if you think somehow they can manage to at least hit enough to overcome their lackadaisical pitching, then I still do like the White Sox, but... Man, I mean, you're right. I saw the Guardians up to like plus 280 somewhere around there like a week ago. And I'm like, this team's a game out from first. How are you giving me that much value? I think out of principle, I would almost have to take that and hope it at least just comes down to the bets that I have with the White Sox and then the new bet that I would have had with the Guardians. But this thing's just going to come down to the very last day, it feels like. And the Sox are going to make it so uncomfortable, so infuriating to where it's either they're barely going to get in on some kind of BS way or lucky way, or they're just going to get screwed with more injuries and other teams kind of winning in some more impressive way, I guess. But the Sox will be there right to the end and keep their fans' hopes up. The last second, I still, again, am holding out on them because I do think they have that experience. They have a bullpen that if they're on, they can be good. They haven't been, but they've been improving. And the offense, again, that's really what it's going to come down to and how easy their schedule can be. So many more division games to go. They got to turn up that final gear. We've been saying that for a while. And they have since the All Star break, relatively. You want a little bit more. But still, this team, I think, has the most talent compared to the other squads. I don't think the Twins pitching has enough to keep them going. And again, their schedule's tough. So just from a I'm going to pick a team, I'll still go with the White Sox. But if you're looking for value, Hard to ignore the Guardians, Greg. I'm there with you in terms of the value.
3: And in terms of the value out of everything with the White Sox... I think the best value might actually be Dylan Cease to be able to win the Cy Young Award. Now, he needs to overcome Justin Verlander, but with the way that Jay McLannan has went down the toilet bowl in his last few starts and the way that Dylan Cease has performed on the road, he's actually going to be going on Thursday against Kansas City Royals. He's got a buck 33 ERA and 10 starts on the road with a 7-1 record. He's got the strikeout numbers as he's been getting north of 12 strikeouts per nine innings. I take a look at Dylan Cease and He has been really impressive. Now, I would have him a little bit behind Justin Verlander as of right now for that Cy Young Award, but I've got him as a solid number, two. and being able to get good plus money on Dylan Cease, I think is a flyer we're taking right now if you're looking at anything with the White Sox.
6: I don't disagree with you there either, Hoops. I mean, you talk about guys who are just an almost automatic, like, yeah, we should be winning this game. Dylan Cease is for sure that. And I'm not saying Verlander isn't, but the unique situation about the White Sox and Cease is because we talk about – Kind of their slacking rotation. Cease is that automatic guy, and they're still in the hunt, right? When you look at the Astros, they got a few guys. It's just Verlander's that great. But I feel like Cease almost gets a little bit of a boost because he is the reliable guy for the White Sox. He's the only guy you can count on at this point, and he's just doing so many dominant things right now that it's finally getting highlighted. I mean, he was kind of sporadic and volatile to begin the season, but now that it's coming to the end, And he's been able to be so consistent. And like I was saying, I mean, the guy that needs to win every outing at this point, that's going to help him. And you're right. I mean, look, if the plus value is there, and the race isn't that deep and you haven't bet anything and you want to get involved, why not take a shot on a guy like Dylan Cease? What if the Sox do start to turn things around and Cease keeps up his strong play? Then yeah, he could absolutely be worth the outing. And Verlander is up there in years, so hey, who knows? Maybe they slow him down a little bit because they got everything solidified and he's not able to pad his stats as much. Maybe he's due for a vulnerable outing. They are in a tougher division than Dylan Cease is. So I know there's not that much time left, but if you came up to me and you told me, hey, I think it's worth a flyer on C's. I wouldn't steer you out of it.
3: Yep. I think that it will be so interesting as well, because if there is a scenario in which it winds up coming down to the final week, Dylan C's needs to deliver seven scoreless settings to get the white Sox into the playoffs. As we know, voters love those sorts of things. Those big moments as well. so, I think that that'll work to his advantage as well as Danny Burke of Beeson does a great job hosting the show, Rush Hour, showing me on the podcast. And then how about if we talk about the other Chicago team as they haven't lent a lot of value in the betting market. They've been a little bit better since the all-star break. I will give them that, but certainly it's been a rough season for the Chicago Cubs. But They're going to be playing one of the most interesting games of the year. As we all remember last season, the field of dreams game between the Yankees and the White Sox, just an absolute spectacle. Just so much fun to take a look at and, This year, the Field of Dreams game, it goes down on Thursday with Drew Smiley going for the Cubs. The Reds are going to be trotting out their Nick Lodolo. Do you have any sort of a lean or any sort of way that you're going to be handicapping this game? Because it is such a unique one-off that I do think that it's going to be great to be able to watch on TV and for two. I do think that it does wind up adding in there just a little bit more juice for both of these teams. and. On top of that, taking a look at a little bit of a new ballpark in terms of its dimensions that we typically don't see. Yeah, Greg, if you don't
6: mind, what was the uh, total setup for this
3: game? If there's any lines up, it, it opened up at eight and a half. I'm seeing a few places going to nine with juice on the under. If you do see a nine, I feel like you got to take
6: the over in this game. I mean, just based off the incredibly small sample size of what we saw last year, Cubs still having Contreras half and some of their better hitters now dishing them out at the deadline. Also helps boost their offense, not the two top tier pitchers, that's for sure. And hey, you might as well be playing at the Reds ballpark, like you said, with these dimensions. So I think if you're betting anything with the total, it has to be going to the over. I would at most bet it at nine, as you alluded to, kind of creeping up to that spot in a lot of spaces. At nine and a half, I, I wouldn't be as entertained because I'd want the security of the push, but... I don't see how you could really bet an under in this game. And just on the overall outlook of this game, how fun was that last year? I mean, it couldn't have gone any better for the first Fuel to Dreams edition with the White Sox overcoming the Yankees in a walk-off fashion. I mean, what an incredible game. The unfortunate thing is now you got to sit and watch two crap teams like the Cubs and the Reds. It'll be cool for the Cubs to be there as a fan, but for the rest of baseball fans, not the most ideal scenario. But uh, I still think you could probably give a slight nod to the Cubs overall in this game because they have more of those, I guess, franchise type of players, all-star players they're going to want to show out in this particular setting. And in this setting, you probably give them the advantage anyways, if you want to look at it from those kind of just narrative angles and just the experience of how to adapt to different settings. But again, Greg, I'm just kind of going all over the place with that, trying to speculate from that perspective. It's going to come down to who has more talent, who's the better pitcher. You give a slight nod to Chicago, but if you don't want to sweat out a crap team one way or the other, just look for a lot of runs in this game. Because based on what we saw last year and just how the park is laid out, you're probably set up to get a decent amount of them.
3: Yep, I do agree with you there. The dimensions are very similar to Old Kaminsky Park, so that should give you a little bit of reference there for those that used to watch good old games out there in the great city of Chicago. And, Danny, I know you're doing a great job taking a look at everything day in and day out when it comes to baseball, but you mentioned it as well. We're getting set for what is going to be an incredible football season. I know that you're doing a wide variety of great things on the show Rush Hour. Then, Anyone that wants to hear you rant about the Chicago Bears and not a lot of that to the positive for the Chicago Bears and rightfully so, the Chicago City Cats as well. I know that you're doing an amazing job there. Love the good people at home. No, they're able to follow you on social media and everything they've got
6: going on in general. Yeah, no doubt. At
3: Danny Burke 5, always tweeting out the links to Rush Hour, to
6: the City Cast, and then WLS 890 AM, Saturday night, 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time here in the Windy City. You can get me, like Greg said, ranting about the Bears, but really talking all things football. We go local. Uh, You get the fan perspective and betting angles out of me, and then don't worry, we're always covering things nationally and getting a great array of guests on the programs. But at Danny Burke 5, probably the easiest way to get in touch
3: and danny doing an incredible job getting set for the football season and in the meantime doing a great job taking a look at the game of baseball and always delivers on this podcast a big thanks to him for joining me right here on the baseball betting show now part of the beast family podcast and coming up next it is that time the podcast i give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this mlb thursday as we touch them all
0: If you dare.
5: Yeah, I, yeah, because you gotta think Love he's gonna guard, he don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard like you see him in the exactly. Olympics, he's gonna guard and then on Love top of it. Like that, see that?
4: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to point game. I remember you came out of him
5: crying, <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock And then he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said I said, OJ, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't need it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson.
3: And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, It is always a pleasure to get Danny Burke on the show. He does an amazing job over here at VEASAN hosting the show Rush Hour. You're able to catch that Monday through Friday. On top of that, if you're out there in the great state of Illinois, you're able to catch... You're able to catch his Saturday show as well. Bet on Chicago. That is for 890 AM. And then the Chicago CityCast over here at VEASAN. We've got a bunch of casts. We've got them for a bunch of major cities like Los Angeles, New York. Danny Burke holds it down out there in the great city of Chicago. List goes on and on. So Danny doing absolutely superb work. At the network, and always great to be able to get them aboard. Big thanks to Danny. Now it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis and every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we touch them all.
6: If a game is
0: listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
3: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore D1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas station or This is where we go to the National League games first, then the American League games. If we would have Interleague games, those would be at the bottom, but it appears as though we are not going to have any of those. So let's get started with 901, 902 on the betting board. It is the Miami Marlins on the road facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Kyle Gibson it is going to be going for the Phillies, and Edward Cabrera is going to be on the bump for Miami. Total on this game is 8, over is minus 120, the under is even. If you're looking at the Phillies laying between minus 160 and minus 165, between plus 140. Plus 150 is your price on Miami. I love the way that Edward Cabrera wanted coming out in his first start since coming off the injury list. Five no-hit innings against the Chicago Cubs, and you got to figure that the Miami Marlins are going to be relatively safe with him. He wanted being banged up, which is why it was his first start in right around about two or so months. So I do think that he's going to be a little bit more limited in this start as well. He's got very good stuff when he's been at the big league level thus far this season. A 2.61 ERA. If you take a look at him at. At the minor league level, has always been a good swing and miss guy. He's been able to get ten punch outs per nine innings at the big league level this season. One thing that is a limiter: five walks per nine innings. So I do think that he winds up getting knocked out early. And I mean, the big thing when it comes to this Miami Marlins bunch is that you could wind up having an absolutely supreme performance from Edward Cabrera and it just not be enough for the team to get to victory because the Miami Marlins have had all sorts of difficulties being able to put runs up on the board as you do have Joey Wendell hitting right around 260 for this bunch and if you're looking for a sign of brightness it's a very small sample size but Charles LeBlanc is hitting above a 400. I think he's got fewer than 50 at bats but you just take a look at the bottom of this list. Luan Diaz, Jacob Stallings, Brian De La Cruz, along with Peyton Buderick. All these guys are hitting below a 215. They get back Eric Cooper, but, I mean, really, other than Aces Aguiar, nobody for the seam is giving you a double-digit amount of formers. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, you got guys that are able to do a solid job of moving the line. Nick Cassianos, JTB, Mito Reese Hoskins. i between about a 252 to a 268. Hoskins has been able to go deep 20 plus times as far this season. Kyle Schwarber. North of 30 homers, but batting average certainly is lacking with him as well. And then you got guys like Brace and Stopright and Marsha at the bottom of the fold, not necessarily doing a great job. Both of these bullpens have had their ups and downs. The Phillies they certainly have been in much better recent form since the canning of Joe Girardi. Corey Knebel has been great in the seventh inning. David Roberts and Bright Hanser, Anthony Dominguez, these guys get the job done. With them for the Miami Marlins. Richard Blyer, Dylan Floro, they haven't been bad. They trade away Anthony Bass, but and it's a bullpen that, it's been competent, but they're probably going to be looked to for a few more innings because I just don't think that Edward Cabrera going to necessarily line overly much length in this spot. This is a situation where, in terms of the money line, I do mind making it a minus 166, even though I do think that the Miami Marlins, at the very worst, are going to be a play even up in terms of the starting pitching matchup because Kyle Gibson has had a relatively rough go over this season north of a 4 ERA, both at home and on the road. It's been a rocky ride. 411 home ERA, 473 ERA on the road with 11 out of his 15 home runs Coming at home thus far this season, the opponents hit right around 25 points lower when he is at home as well. And for Kyle Gibson. Big key is keeping the walks on. He's been able to do a much better job of that recently, giving up right around two and a half walks per nine innings as far this season. And Phillies just have more offense in general. I just think that this is going to be a situation where Cabrera winds up getting a lack of support. I needed at least a plus 125 to take a look at the Phillies run line. Seeing anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. I do think that the Phillies, even if they only wind up getting like three or four runs, can cover this run line. So I'm going to be taking a look at that plus price. So I might tell at 7.7 as well. So also diving under. 9-3-9-04 on the betting board, the St. Louis Cardinals set their face off against the Colorado Rockies. Ervon Marquez is gonna be going for the Rockies, and Dakota Hudson is on the bump for St. Louis. St. Louis is a small favorite here. Anywhere between minus 118 and minus 125, plus 105, but plus 110. You surprise on Colorado. 12 is the total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. I think that this total has gone up a little bit too lofty. Did wind up setting it at an 11.8. So I certainly don't think that we're going to get like some two to one game in which it reminds you of Leicester or anything like that. But I do think that we went up a bit too high because Irma Marquez has been much more respectable recently. He has given up two runs or few Year, and now four out of his last five starts. Three of those starts wanted coming at home, and the lone albatross wanted coming against the LA Dodgers. And the LA Dodgers have been able to do a solid job. Now, six eleven home ERA overall for the season, giving up 14 bombs and 66 and a third innings. I do think that that's a little bit of an admiration. Erma Marquez is a better pitcher than that. He's shown that throughout his career. Now, starting to take hold a little bit more. Meanwhile, for to go to Hudson, he's always had his road struggles. And the big thing with Hudson is he gives up four walks per nine innings while not being a strikeout guy. He gets barely over five punch-outs per nine innings. 526 Rodiari when he's away from St. Louis, he winds getting in a little bit harder because he just relies so much on ground balls. That is a little bit of a roll of the dice, but The Cardinals do back him up with a far superior bullpen. You've had Giovanni Gaigo's Genesis Cabrera be very solid out there in the bullpen. And Cabrera, he's able to do a solid job giving you multiple innings. He's posted up a 275 ERA. Ryan Helsley still has a sub one ERA. Panky Daughton is able to give you multiple innings. So you feel good about that. Now Lucas Gobert, a sub three ERA when he's at home for the Colorado Rockies. Alex Comey has been able to give you some... Relatively solid innings as well, even with Tyler Kinley out of the fold. The Rockies haven't necessarily skipped a beat in terms of their bullpen, though. Overall, for the season, it has been a little bit rough. And then you do take a look at this. Cardinals lineup, and a combined 28 home runs entering into Wednesday between Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Arenado sitting at 300, Goldschmidt 330, and right now the odds are on favorite to win MVP. But you do have guys at the bottom of the fold. Tyler O'Neal, Albert Pouls, Lars newpar hitting between a two hundred twenty-five to a two thirty. Paul DeYoung overall for the season sit well below a two hundred, but you look at Paul DeYoung ever since he has resurfaced. He has been able to give the team a 390 on base since getting recalled from the minors. So he's been able to do a better job with that regard. Tommy Edmond is someone that's able to move the line. He's able to give you north of 20 so bases. And for the Rockies, they average over two and a half runs per game more at home rather than on the road. And the big thing is their home runs per game nearly double. Like CJ Cron, 17 out of his 23 home runs, they've come at home. Brendan Rodgers, all but one of his 10 home runs, have a lot of coming at home. You're able to go down the list. These guys, they just hit so much better when they're at home. Randall Gritchick, for instance, hitting a 270. over. Overall for the season for Gritchick, at Omi sitting at 326 203 on the road. You just have so many of these guys, but I do think that Dakota Hudson not to get some good support. I do think that this is the case with Germán Marquez. His streak of two runs or feared, surrendered in his starts, and is going to be coming to an end against a Cardinals team that has won the best offenses, in my opinion, in all the big leagues. will to lay up to a minus 133 with the Cardinals. So looking at the cards and on the 12, looking at an under as we go 905 906 on the bank board. The Pittsburgh Pirates at the red face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Merrill Kelly is going to be going for the D-backs, and JT Brubaker is going to be on the bump for the Buckos. The pair is pretty sizable underdogs, any between plus 140 and plus 155. Meanwhile, minus 165 to minus 170 is your price on Arizona. A to Z total, the over and the under are both at minus 110. If you're looking at that Diamondbacks run line, by the way, you're able to get a plus 135, and pretty much at even money, I was willing to take This Diamondbacks run line for Merrill Kelly. His home and road splits this year have not been demonstrative at all. As a matter of fact, he has been very good on the road. But throughout his career, he's been able to post up an ERA a full point lower when he's been at home rather than when he's been on the road this year. He's just been solid all around. 291 home ERA. 279 road ERA going in his home starts to 3-4, and four, but 7-1 and one on the road. I do think that that's going to iron out a little bit because for the season, he's given up just 8 home runs across 132 and a third innings. Opponents are going to get 226 off of him. Strikeouts, it's not necessarily a power arm. He only gets right around 7 bunch outs per 9 innings, but by and large, he's been able to do a solid job. And to the credit of JT Burbaker, after last season, he had an ERA that was right around 6 on the road. He's got a 390 road ERA compared to a 544 home ERA. He's really shaped up on the road, giving up one home run per nine innings overall. Now, opponents are going to get 275 off of him, but he's able to get strikeouts a little bit over nine punch outs per nine innings. The big thing for him has been the walks. He's been giving out over three and a half walks. For 9 innings. He's been in a little bit of poor recent form giving up a combined 10 runs in his last two starts against the Phillies and the Orioles and just the Pirates in general not providing him with too much support. They are 0-5 in his starts ever since the beginning of the month of July and for that matter, the team has won just 4 of his starts thus far this season and he has been trotted out there 21 times. Not really his fault. It's just a case in which the Pirates have absolutely nothing in this lineup. Brian Reynolds has been solved for the team. He's been able to supply 16 home runs. He, Kevin Newman... Long Ace, they're only in between about a 248 to a 258. You're able to run their Michael Javis as well. He's got 12 home runs of his own. But Rodolfo Castro, Gregory Allen, Yoshi Satsugo, Cal Mitchell, you're able to go down the list of guys hitting a 215 or lower for this Pittsburgh Pirates team. And it's not like the Arizona Diamondbacks are doing a great job with their average either. They've been able to see some marked improvement with a few of these gentlemen, but you still have Christian Walker, Seth Beer, Geraldo Perdomo, Sergio Alcantra all hitting a 250. 20 or lower, but with Christian Walker, 26 home runs for the U.S. and the Diamondbacks. They've had quite a bit of power in the lineup, but they only average right around one home run per game at home, meanwhile 1.4 home runs per game on the road, and they are dealing with an injury to Kyle Nelson in the bullpen. But good news is Merrill Kelly has been a good innings either, and you've got Joe Mantiply in the bullpen. He's been saw now. Noe Ramirez, along with Mark Melanson, these guys have been rough, but for the Pittsburgh Pirates over the last 50 days, they rank at the bottom five in terms of bullpen area. They do have guys that are able to give you multiple innings, though. So you've been able to get some. Good production out of Wilkrow, along with Chase Young, DeYoung. South of a 2-5 ERA, will curl right around at 3-ish ERA himself. You already did Los Santos, Colin Holderman. These guys have been able to do a relatively okay job. I think that you're going to get a relatively low-scoring game, and I think that Baker once again, going to be a little bit of a tough luck loser because every time he takes them out, the Pirates just have not been able to supply a lot of offense. It's going to be, a, once again, one of those cases in which three, maybe four runs might be enough for the Diamondbacks to be able to win this game by multiple runs. So my total is 7.7. I'm looking under, and I'm looking at the Diamondbacks on the run line, 907, 908 on the betting board. This is a Field of Dreams game out there in Dyersville, Iowa. Cubs and Reds are doing battle. Nick Lodolo is going to be going for the Redlegs, and... Drew Smiley is on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs open up the favor. Now you're finding them anywhere between even money of minus 105. Between minus 110 and minus 115. Your price on Cincinnati, 8.5 to 9 is your total on the 9. The under is minus 120 and the over is even. On the 8.5, the over is minus 120 and the under is even. To minus saying my total at a 9.3. You want to see the humidity in last year's game between the White Sox and the Yankees really take hold. This is a ballpark that it has pretty much the same dimensions as old. Kaminsky field, so it's not necessarily overly pitcher-friendly. It's not necessarily overly hitter-friendly either. It's a pretty neutral ballpark, so that is something to take into account here. You do have a guy, Nick Lodolo, that the big thing for him is going to be length, being able to just get past that fifth inning because he has been giving out right around four walks per nine innings, so that jacks up the pitch count, but he's been very good at being able to get swings and misses. 12 strikeouts per nine innings. He's been giving up right around 1.45 home runs per nine innings and Drew Smiley. He's been giving up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings for Smiley. has been able to do a good job in terms of command, giving up right around two and a half walks per nine innings for Smiley. He's been a little bit touch and go with him on the road. 450 road. He already given up six home runs in 38 innings, so that is a tad bit of issue on both of these teams. They do have a little bit of firepower in terms of their lineup, for the Chicago Cubs, your main two guys, Patrick Wisdom and Wilson Contreras, They combined 36 home runs between these two gentlemen. And you take a look at Contreras along with P.J. Higgins. Throw in their Ian e& app as well. All guys having between a .355 to a .365 on base percentage. Jico Horner has been able to 300 for this bunch as well. C.A. Suzuki certainly has seen a little bit of a fall since coming off the injured list. But still has been able to move the line. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they have been much worse in terms of their offense when they have been on the road rather than at home. At home, they're averaging over five runs per game, more like three and a half when they are away from home, but you still have Joey Votto doing a solid job. He's really been able to pick it up since he was dealing with some injuries towards beginning of part of the season last three days, right around a 330 on base, so that has been encouraging. you still got Kyle Farmer, getting a 255 for this punch. When he's been out there, Tyler Stevenson has been solid. He's unfortunately been banged up for much of the season, but Donovan Solano, he's been able to a 300 for this punch as well, so that has been relatively encouraging for Solano. Been a little bit banged up with him as well, but has been able to do a solid job when he has been available. Available for this team. The big thing is the Reds bullpen. It has been terrible this season. No fans are bust about it. You've got one good guy that you're able to rely upon, and Alexis Diaz. He's been posting up a sub 250 ERA, but Joe Kuno, Buck Farmer, you're able to throw in there, Luis Sessa, Hunter Strickland, these guys have north of a 5 ERA, and for the Chicago Cubs, they wind up trading away David Robertson, they wind up trading away Scott Efres, so now you're left with guys like Michael Rucker, Mike Leiter Jr., Eric Ullman, guys like this have not necessarily been so great, I like Anderson Espinoza, sub 3 ERA, but I do think they're going to get a relatively high scoring game, and I think that Nick Lodolo is a little bit of a better arm in this one, and the Reds, they still have some pop in the lineup as well, so I may throw them point three looking over and one delay up to a minus one twenty eight with the red legs we go to my dk nation pick nine oh nine nine ten on the betting board the cleveland guardians they're on the road. They're facing off against the Detroit Tigers as Garadillo is going to be going for the Tigres and Zach Polisak is going to be on the bump for Cleveland. Cleveland between a minus 160 to a minus 165 favorite, plus 140 to plus 148 as your price on Detroit. 8.5 is the total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. And the DK Nation pick is going to be on the under. I did wind up saying my total at a 7.4 and a big reason why is because... We've got a Detroit Tigers team that they just continue to not be able to put back to ball going into Wednesday. Not a single guy with more than 10 home runs. And as a matter of fact, Anthony Rizzo, who's been out the last few weeks for the Yankees, he and Aaron Judge still have more home runs as a duo rather than the Detroit Tigers do as a collective. It has been really, really sad to take a look at it. And for the Cleveland Guardians, this is not a team that necessarily does a great job of be able to go yard either. They rank at the bottom eight in the big leagues in terms of home run power, though you do have quite a few guys that are able to do a good job of being able to move the line as Jose Ramirez, Amit Rosario, Andres Jimenez, Josh Naylor, Stephen Kwan, Oscar Gonzalez, all these guys in a 273 or greater entering into last night. And the main guy that that's been able to go deep. Jose Ramirez, 21 bombs, and a 287 batting average. Meanwhile, you do take a look at the Detroit Tigers. And entering into the day yesterday, you wound up seeing Javi Baez, Jamir Candelario, Jonathan Scope, Akil Badu, Cody Clements, all hitting a 220 or lower, throwing their Tucker Barnard. Spencer Torkelson, he wanted getting sent down to AAA, who was that bad. And Robbie Grossman would be on this list, but he wanted getting traded away at the deadline as well. And both of these bullpens have been relatively solid. As for the Cleveland Guardians, Emmanuel Class a has been a lights out closer for this bunch all season long. James Karencheck. He has come back and he has been rock solid. And then you've got guys like Trevor Stephen, Nick Samlin, posting up sub-3 ERA. So they're in the top half of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. And the Tigers, they rank in the top five of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. Now, they did mind trading away Michael Fulmer at the trade deadline, but still have a lot of effective arms out there. Andrew Chafin has been sought. Jose C. Saranon coming off the injured list has a sub-2 ERA. Willie Peralta all season long has been able to get the job done with a 2-3 ERA. And for Garrett Hill... Young guy who said his ups and his downs but take a look at things. Three runs of fear surrendered, and now three out of his last four starts, and those four starts came against the Rays. The Blue Jays on the road, the A's on the road, and the San Diego Padres, so he's been able to do some relatively solid work. Big thing for him is keeping the walks down. He's been giving up right around four walks per nine innings. Strikeout stuff isn't necessarily too supreme right now, but his three home starts has allowed just five runs in 16 and two-thirds innings for a 270 ERA, so he's been able to do a solid job there, and for Zach Polisak, ever since, really, I would say the beginning of the summertime, he been able to shape up. He wound up having a north of five ERA in May, but ever since then, he's been able to do a relatively solid job coming off of a little bit of a rough life started, which he did wind up giving up four runs in four and a third innings, and for police, the two and ten record is not warranted with him. He's got a 449 ERA, he's been giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings. His walks per nine rate that is right around 2.7 ish. Very much a pitcher contact guy who does wind up having a 531 road ERA, but has been effective against Detroit thus far this season. Two innings has a lot for earned runs over the course of nine and two thirds innings, and being able to face off against this lineup should be able to help him out quite a bit. So, my DK Nation pick is going to be on the under in this spot just in case in which, I don't have any faith whatsoever in the Tigers really being able to generate a lot of runs. And then for the Cleveland Guardians, they just aren't able to go yard. And it is a relatively pitcher-friendly ballpark. I do mind saying the Guardians minus 154 on the money line, which means I need at least a plus 154 to take a flyer on the Tigers. But if you're taking a look at the run line right now, you're finding Cleveland Guardians at even money, and the way that things shake out right now, I'd probably be looking at the Detroit Tigers in some form or capacity. I'm seeing them between minus 115 and minus 120 in terms of their run line. I do think that that's probably going to be coming in on the Cleveland Guardians, so whether I wind up getting the Tigers more around about a plus 155, or I could get more around about a minus 115 to a minus 110, getting a run a half, that's where I'm going to be looking with the Tigers. That'll be based on what we wind up seeing overnight, and DK and pick going to be on this total under as we go 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. It is the Walker-Texas Rangers. and They're going to be facing off against the Houston Astros. From Valdez is going to be going for the Astros, and Cole Regans is on the bump for Texas. Texas is back to being a big, giant underdog. You're going to be getting them in between plus 245 and a plus 255. Between minus 285 and minus 295, your price on Houston, 8.5 is the total. Seeing straight 8 out there as well. On the 8, over is minus 120. The under seven On the 8.5, under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. For Cole Ragans, actually a relatively good first start from one under run. Give it up in five innings against the Chicago White Sox. That is something that you really do like to see. He was a highly touted guy coming out of the draft a few seasons ago. So, he has been able to live up to the billing thus far, Obviously. One start is not necessarily a big sample size, and you take a look at what he wanted doing at the minor league level this season. And he was relatively effective for Raggins right around 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings between AA and AAA. He was able to do a good job, especially at the AAA level, of keeping the walks down to right around 2.5 walks Per nine innings. he's got relatively electric stuff, but now you have to face off against the Houston Astros, and From Valdez has really been on his game this season and has been able to pump up the strikeout numbers as well overall for the season, From Valdez getting in the neighborhood about eight strikeouts per nine innings, but you take a look at what he's been able to do over his last four starts, he's been able to do a better job with Moron in at punch outs per nine innings. Last five starts, it's a little bit north of nine, so... He's been able to do a good job of being able to get those swings and misses. And for Valdez, he just keeps the ball in the air, giving up less than a half a home run. Per nine and he says had a few rough starts recently. Has given up at least three runs in each out of his last three starts. But for Framber Valdez, the last time he wanted giving up more than three earned runs in a start, you have to go all the way back to April. So Framber Valdez has been able to do a very good job with that. Regarding, he's backed up by the number one bullpen in terms of ERA in the big leagues. As Ryan Stanek, Seth Martinez, throwing the Rafael Montero, all posting up a 2.25 ERA or lower. And then for the Texas Rangers, who do have a pair of guys that have been able to do a solid job in their own right, as Brock Burke along with Matt Bush. They both have been able to provide a sub-two ERA, but you take a look at Garrett Richards over the last 45 days. He's had an ERA that is north of 10, and it's not great. Joe Barlow being on the injured list certainly has hurt this team. Jose LeClerc, he's got a four ERA. Now, the one thing that you've got with the Texas Rangers is relatively balanced power. The main match for this team, that would be Corey Seager. to be able to go deep 25 times as he, Adolis Garcia, Marcus Simeon, Jonah Haim, only in between about a 240 to a 250 for Heim. He has been able to give the team 13 home runs. Marcus Simeon, Elise, Garcia. He combined 35 bombs for these two guys, and really for Simeon. All of his home runs have come in the last 65 games, so he's been able to do a good job with that regard. Leody Tavares has done a nice job. He'll be able to move the line in for the Astros. They're the top under team in all of baseball this season, but the offense wanted to getting a nice boost at the trade deadline. Trey boom Mancini already has three home runs since he got traded for. We've got Christian Vasquez, who has been able to hit a 280 at the catcher spot. Jose Altuve along Kyle Tucker. Both have 19 home runs thus far, season as Tucker, Jeremy Peña, Alex Fragman, along with Elamendi CS between about a 242 to a 255 with DS hitting above a 300 over the last 30 days as well. Jordan Alvarez has been in a little bit of a funk recently. So has his 30 home runs. Still giving you a 400 on base but do note that since coming off the injured list, he's been hitting more like a 250 four home runs over his last 60 at-bats so up. That's been a little bit of an issue. I do think that From Valdez going to be able to do a solid job of being able to keep the Rangers at bay. And I do think that Raggins is actually going to be able to present a little bit of value. I would need at least a plus 257 to take a shot as I'm doing this right now. I'm seeing let go up to a plus 260 on the Rangers. Getting right around a plus 260, which this is an opening number of a plus 265. I'm going to be willing to take a shot on the Rangers, and a young guy in Reagans with something to prove, and a relatively decent lineup behind him, especially with Framber Valdez having an ERA that is barely above 2 when he is on the road, compared to nearly a 3-5 when he's at home. So, this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at a Bondo number here with the Texas Rangers, and somebody told at an 8.3, so looking under on the 8.5 as well. 913, 914 on the bank board. The Chicago White Sox, they hit the face off against the Kansas City Royals. Zach Greinke is going to be going for the Royals and Dylan Cease and is on the bump for these outsiders. White Sox are between minus 170 and minus 180. Favorites between plus 155 and plus 160 is your price on the Royals with 8-8.5 eight eight being your total. On the 8 over is minus 120. The under is even. On the 8.5 the under is minus 120 and the over is even. And when it comes to this spot, I wanted up saying the White Sox minus 194 favorites on the money line. On the run line, I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 125 in this spot. So that is where I'm going to be looking with Dylan Cease as we were talking about this a little bit earlier with Danny Burke. The fact that I think that he's got a little bit of value in terms of the Cy Young hunt as well. When it comes to Cease, he's getting a little bit over 12 punch outs per nine innings. A buck 35 ERA on the road thus far this season. And his ERA balloons right around like a 235 to a four when he's at home. But I mean, this guy has been very effective. The one thing that you fear with Dylan Cease is the walks as his walks per nine rate. It is in the neighborhood about three and a half thus far this season, but he's been able to do a good job of shaping up with that regard. He combined seven walks over the course of his last four starts. So you're able to be relatively encouraged on that front after he wound up having three-plus walks in each out of his first three starts in the month of July. Meanwhile, you take a look at Zach Greinke, and he has been very good at home. He has been not so great on the road. 223 home ERA, 716 ERA on the road. That is just not something that can wind up happening and for Mr. Granke for a start in the month of August. He winds up giving up four runs in four and two-thirds innings. That wound up being an L against the Boston Red Sox at home, so he's got massive issues there, and you've got to feel like Zach Granke is going to be stopping to get so lucky at home. One home run in 48 and a third innings, give it up at home. 11 bombs in 44 innings on the road. Probably going to see positive progression on the road, negative regression at home. Now, this is a White Sox team that they rank in the bottom seven of the big leagues in terms of home runs on a per-game basis, but you've got guys who are able to get on base as Eloy and as Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, along with Andrew Vaughn and Tim Anderson have all been able to hit at least a 295. Now Anderson has been serving a little bit of a suspension but by and large these guys have been able to do a solid job. Now bottom of the fold guys like Yohan Moncada, Yasmani Grandal, Lennon, Sosa, they have been having a tough time being able to get on base but Josh Harrison all of a sudden has been able to pick it up as well. He's been a little bit of a dead bat this season but he's been able to hit right around at 300 over the last 15 days, applying four home runs in his last 75 at bat so that's encouraging and for the Kansas City Royals M.J. Melendez over the last seven days, he's been able to give the team a trio of bombs. Bobby Wood Jr. He's got 15 home runs. He's been able to move the line hitting above a 250. He along with Hunter Dozier, Nicky Lopez, in between about that 245 to a 255 range. Vinny Pasquinto, he wound up having a very rough start to begin the season, but he's now been able to find his footing, hitting a 275 in the last three days as well. The problem for the Royals is that they rank dead last in terms of bullpen ERA. In the American League this season, they were getting some good innings out of Taylor Clark. He's now landed on the injured list. Scott Barlow has been a constant for the team all season long, posting up right around a 220 ERA. But Josh out since he wanted coming off the injured list, he has not been the same guy as he's got a 736 ERA over the course of his last eight appearances. He does not look right. Amir Garrett finally has his ERA below five. So, I mean, I guess a little bit of credit where credit is due and for the White Sox. Liam Hendricks, along with Kendall Graveman, have both been rock solid for this team all season long. Joe Kelly has his ERA down to right around about a 5-ish, I guess, that's a win, but shouldn't need too much of the White Sox bullpen in this one. The Royals have had a tough time going yard themselves. Salvador Perez has been able to deliver 16 home runs, and ever since coming off the injured list, to his credit, he's been able to get a home run every about 10 or so at-bats, but still just at 225 for the season. I do think that the White Sox should be able to do a very solid job in this spot. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 125 on the run line of the Chicago White Sox, so that's where I'm going to be looking on that and didn't mind if saying my total at some so looking under as well. We wrap things up with 915-916 on the betting board. The Baltimore Orioles hit the red face off against the Boston Red Sox. As Josh Winkowski is gonna be going for the Sox, and Dean Kramer is on the bump for Baltimore. Baltimore find themselves as an underdog between plus 110 and plus 120, between minus 120 and minus 135. Your price on Boston 9.5 to 10 is your total. On the 9.5 over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even a minus 110. On the 10, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. And I think the wrong team is a favorite. I wound up setting the Baltimore Orioles as a minus 127 favorite in this spot. And I do like the 9.5 over. I did wind up setting my total at a 9.7 in this spot. You do take a look at what we've been able to get out of Dean Kremer and he wound up having a 3-15 and mark in his first 18 career starts while he was with the Baltimore Orioles but has had a dramatic turnaround since then. The team has went 7-3 and in his last 10 and he was supposed to go yesterday actually against the uh, Toronto Blue Jays but he has been moved back because the game wound up getting rained out yesterday and that means that a Baltimore Orioles will pen their ranks in the top 5 of the big leagues in terms of ERA. They get another day of rest so All these guys, they wind up being able to recharge like Joey Creeble, Dylan Tate, Felix Batista. You've got Ciano Perez in the fold, all giving you right around a 250 ERA or better. And then on top of that, you've got out there, Keegan Aiken, who's been able to provide right around a 280-ish in terms of ERA. He's been a little bit more of a long guy for this team, but for Kramer in this streak that he's been able to run off since he's had the turnaround, he's got a ERA that is hovering right in the neighborhood of a 323. He's been able to do a very solid job of being able to hold down the fort for this team, giving up just 2.2 walks per nine and 0.8 home runs per nine, and then you've got a Boston Red Sox team that no doubt, you do have guys that are able to get on base for you, but J.D. Martinez, one of those usual guys, sitting below a buck 75 over the last 40 days, he has really been in a funk, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, both hitting above a 300 you've got Devers, who's been able to supply 24-plus home runs thus far this season, you saw Tommy Pham be able to go deep for the team yesterday, he's been a relatively solid pickup, but you do have guys like Kevin Pilecki, Bobby Dahlbeck, Yomer Sanchez at the bottom of the fold, they've been a little bit rough whenever Alex Verdugo has been out there, he's been able to do a solid job hitting right around 280, but now you've got Eric Hosmer who's currently on the injured list and been necessarily doing a ton for this Boston Red Sox team, but you do also have for the Baltimore Orioles a relatively solid lineup. You don't necessarily have that one headliner for the overall season, but Anthony Santander over the last three days has been tremendous for the team. He's got 20 overall home runs this season, but he's been able to hit a 330 over the last three days and it's been absolutely remarkable. And as a result, you've got Santander throwing their Cedric Mullins, Ryan Castle Austin the Say's kid, Ellie Rush Ryan McKenna, only between a 253 to a 262, and then you've got Ode Mateo, who currently has 26 on bases. That leads the American League. He's been hitting nearly a 300 over the last three days. He's been able to come on strong. He's been able to give you a double-digit amount of farmers. have gotten 15 home runs out of Ryan Mountcastle as well, and then the Boston Red Sox have been in the bottom five in terms of bullpen ERA over the last 45 days. they went trading away. Jake Deakman at the trade deadline. They've got a lot of guys with bad ERAs. Now, Darwins and Hernandez getting used up yesterday actually helps them out as you've got Garrett Woodlock along Tanner Oak, who both have right around a three one five ERA they're going to be good to go in this one. You've been able to get some relatively solid innings out of Eda Kazusada. it has been a little bit touch and go with him as well. But for Josh Winkowski it has been an up and down season for him as well, and he's done his worst work at home six eighteen home ERA two eighty two ERA on the road, giving up six of his eight home runs at home thus far this season. Opponents are hitting at two eighty nine out of them. this swing and missed stuff it is not there. He's only getting right around six strikeouts per nine innings. So I do think that Baltimore should be able to get the job done here. I don't see why they are such a sizable underdog against a Boston team that they are sub-500 ever since the All-Star break. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, I believe that they've been your most profitable team ever since the All-Star break, winning over 60% of their game. So I'm going to be taking the plus price here with Baltimore at a 10. I'd be looking at an under, and I would rather have a 10 under rather than a 9.5 over personally. So did you mind saying Mattola at a 9.7, if you do mind seeing a 9.5, we'll be willing to go over. But looking at a 10 under personally, and I'm willing to take the plus price here with the Baltimore Orioles. And that will wrap things up. For the Thursday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the VEASAN family and podcast. a big thanks to Danny Burke, does a tremendous job hosting Rush Hour here on VEASAN. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, when I have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind letters, E-M, they mean, does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. So right? that five-star review. I'm coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I will be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: If you dare.